0: Market-moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Melissa Lee. Cramer has the morning off. Coming off Dow 29K, first time since February. And while some of the mega-cap tech names are down pre-market, They did get bought on the dip yesterday. We'll see if that pattern repeats. Jobless claims come in a bit better than expected when oil is below 41. Our roadmap begins with that breather on Wall Street. Futures indicate a pause for stocks, but is another late surge ahead?
1: a delayed launch rocket companies sinking after reporting its first results as a public company the ceo is going to join us in just a few minutes to discuss
2: and later cea chair tyler goodspeed as jobless claims come in under consensus and post a new low since the start of that pandemic
0: A lot to work with today, David and Melissa, as we watched that uh, intraday period yesterday where we saw Tesla down 10 percent, for example, uh, worst day for a moment there since early May, David. And then uh, and then the buyers came in. And we'll see once again if if that happens with some of those names like Tesla down about six percent before the bell.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, I'm glad we have Melissa with us today for so many reasons. But one of them is because there's nobody who knows more about this company or certainly talks has talked about it uh, as much as you guys have uh, on fast. uh, Melissa, for obvious reasons, as it has soared ever higher over these last few years. And, of course, these last few months have been truly extraordinary.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, We keep making these um, uh, comparisons to the late 90s, which we all know well. And remember that period well. And Mike uh, Santoli was just doing it also. You know, Tesla is the name, Melissa, that so many people come back to sort of as a sign of the speculation in the market, just given the incredible numbers, whether it's 1,200 times earnings or 73 times revenues, although it's a bit lower than that now, given yesterday's pullback and only 367,000 vehicles delivered over the last year. But here we are.
2: Here we are. I mean, it certainly is a symbol of of that notion of buying into future growth, especially when interest rates are so low. And I think that's, that's critical. I mean, when you make that comparison to the 90s, interest rates were nowhere near where they are today. And so those interest rates that we see today, you know, with the 10-year sub 0.7% at this point, that that enables these markets to levitate higher and have higher PEs. That said, specifically for Tesla, obviously it's in a sector that has had a lot of um, speculative enthusiasm, shall we say, when you take a look at how <laughs> Neo has done, how Nikola has done, Plug Power, Workhorse, all of these names, which, by the way, are also favorites among the Robinhood investors. Um, they've all seen this sort of uh, lift uh, to all boats on the back of the enthusiasm for Tesla. And when you hear uh, Bailey Garford, the, the largest Tesla shareholder, aside from Elon Musk, yep. saying that it's going to cut its stake. And even if it's simply to uh, rebalance its portfolio because of Tesla's magnificent run, uh, and it's a, a huge percentage of their portfolio now, they had to trim it back, uh, that sort of underscores this notion that, hey, this run is all the way up here. Maybe it's time for some prudent portfolio management at this point. Carl. Um. Yeah, uh,
0: indeed. I mean, and we're looking for uh, signs of rotation. Uh, Melissa, interesting Mm -hmm. uh, to see some of the large growth ETFs, uh, the Vanguard, the VUG, the iShares, core S&P growth seeing their biggest outflows, David, uh, uh, on record for the month. uh, And we're starting to monitor whether flows mean anything at this point for for overall value. But uh, to, to Melissa's point about Robinhood traders and the interest in EVs, well, I'm sure, I'm sure at some point today we'll talk about QuantumScape, uh, this Bill Gates-backed uh, battery SPAC, which would be the first or the latest SPAC deal in autos uh, since Nikola back in June.
1: Yeah, uh, we will. Phil LeBeau, earlier I was listening closer to his reporting on that, because as, as Melissa says, this, these, these have become a so-called favorite of what is this, uh... growing cohort or one that has certainly grown substantially over the last few months of individual investors back in this market and reminiscent again of the late nineties in that way given their the significant participation, of course, of so many people who otherwise had not really known that much about the stock market and may not have actually known that much about the stock market when they were investing in it, but Robinhood platform or ETrade or Schwab and Ameritrade have seen enormous growth. We've talked about various names that have benefited greatly from them, and, and as you point out, Carl, this area in particular, EV, and Melissa went through a lot of the names have seen uh, have seen that. Um, You know, Melissa, you can't blame, you you talked about the large shareholder there, obviously, you can't blame them for for their asset allocation decisions there. I mean, my God, what a great investment that's been for them. I'd point out, obviously, Musk, whose net worth uh, was almost $115 billion a couple of days ago as a result of an $87 billion increase just this year. And Larry Ellison, don't forget. I mean, the rich get richer here, don't they? Larry Ellison made an incredible investment not that many years ago in Tesla as well, if you recall. uh, And he has benefited greatly from that also. Just kind of. Trying to go through the various people and investors who benefited from this incredible run.
2: Yeah, Kathy Wood over at ARK Invest. Uh, and, and some of these investors have come under scrutiny because they have trimmed their positions. But again, it's it's because of portfolio management. It's because of the run that Tesla has had. They can't allow uh, one single position in their portfolio to exceed a certain percent. And so um, by mandate, they've got to do that. But the question here is, as we start to see undercurrents of a rotation, we saw that yesterday. And we've seen this in fits and starts over time. It hasn't really Taken hold per se as a lasting trend because we've always seen investors come back and bid up uh, tech shares higher. But in yesterday's session, as we hit those record highs, it wasn't tech leading the charge. And Carl, you had mentioned uh, Tesla pairing its its losses yesterday, It paired its losses, but still finished the day down pretty sharply. It was a Russell 1000 value index that was up 1.4 percent in yesterday's session. We saw utilities and financials do really well. And so the question here, as we sit here pre-market and see these big cap tech stocks, like an Apple, a Microsoft trade lower. All the chip stocks are under pressure this morning because of of the reports that China is going to do more to foster its domestic chip industry. Um, We have to wonder whether or not we'll continue to see that rotation, especially as we head into the election.
0: That's true. Uh, and um, whether or not that rotation uh, means that banks and yields do better. We'll talk more about the Deutsche upgrade today of J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, guys. But Facebook's the other big story. Uh, for the first time, limiting new political ads beginning the week before the election. Mark Zuckerberg saying the company's starting to plan for the possibility of a presidential contender either declaring victory or victory. Or declaring the election count somehow rigged he was on cbs this morning talking about just to whom those restrictions might apply take a listen
4: i certainly think that anyone who's saying that the election is going to be fraudulent um i think that's problematic and i think additional context needs to be added to that this
1: is not just anyone it's not just a regular joe it's a president of the united states yes
4: this will definitely apply to the president um once this Uh, policy goes into place and will apply to everyone equally.
0: So an interesting evolution, uh, you could argue, David, in uh, Zuckerberg and and Facebook's thinking about uh, the legitimacy of advertising, especially leading up to the hours where people actually uh, go to the polls. Doesn't mean you can't run an ad at all. Just can't institute a new ad one week prior to the vote.
1: It is going to be, it would seem, a very uh, Crucial period. Uh, We all know at this point the importance that the Facebook platform plays in terms of dissemination of information and conceivably uh, helping people make decisions around things like uh, which candidate they um, support. And we all can look back at the 2016 election. For evidence of that, you know, it's been an evolution on the part of Mr. Zuckerberg to a certain extent. He gets criticized from the right for not allowing enough conservative voices. He gets criticized for the left for empowering uh, the right. It, it, you know, he's, he's, he's in a difficult position, Melissa, but it is interesting to note that they've made this decision. Twitter has thus far been much more aggressive, it would seem, about policing things like inaccurate tweets, even from the president. But clearly from that from that interview and that interchange there, it, it seems that they will be willing to not allow the president to uh, to make false claims on the platform, at least during that period of time when they say they can't be rebutted effectively by the other side.
2: I think if you're being criticized on both sides, you're doing something right. I mean, I, we feel that all the time on our end, right, David, when you, when you talk. I mean, literally minutes, seconds after we had that Tesla conversation, I get a tweet saying I've been I've been on the wrong side of this trade for a long time and I've been to, you know totally <laughs> against yeah. it. And on the other hand, I get another tweet saying that right. I I've always been pushing it. I mean, it's when you're when you're getting criticism from both sides, that means that you're not favoring either. And that's something good. <laughs> for Facebook, um, especially Facebook had been slow to the game in terms of responding. Twitter had been sort of at the forefront of of being the arbiter of truth, so to speak. Facebook didn't want to be the arbiter tr- of truth. So for it to step in here and, and make this announcement, I think has is, is really, really shown you how far the company has come in thinking in terms of how to deal with these uh, with these issues, especially an issue that had completely roiled them the last election they they have to be proactive this time around
0: yeah we had uh, dick Costello of twitter on on the squawk alley mm-hmm. yesterday guys and he argued that for platforms including twitter and facebook uh... that the degree to which they remove for example deep fakes or doctored videos these companies are going to have to become in his words overzealous about removing them and that may mean that some accounts are removed that don't deserve to be but as Dick said, David, uh, people are going to have to get over that because the under reaction is simply not working right now.
1: Yeah, and we've, we've talked over some time about how many people Facebook has added in terms of the, to their ranks to try to at least do something to police the site. There are still, as Melissa points out, plenty of critics out there who say it is far from enough uh, on the part of, uh, of the company in terms of its role here. Uh, it obviously says, hey, free speech. You know, we're, we're not going to sit here and, and police everything. People have a right to express their, their thoughts and their feelings. So it's still a gray area to some extent. Uh, I would assume they're bulking up even more for this period that we're entering now, a couple of months before the election. The prospect, perhaps, as you have pointed out, Carl, and many others have as well, of uh, mail-in voting, delaying uh, the results to the extent that we will not know who the winner is. So um, it's going to be Quite a period here that we're entering into, I think it's fair to say, Carl. And of course, we've talked about the impact as well on the stock market.
0: Uh, Which we'll talk a lot about more. uh, 61 days, of course, until uh, the vote and early voting really getting started uh, in the next few days. Uh, So much news to get to, guys. We'll talk about Rocket uh, and their first uh, quarter as a public company, the upgrade of uh, JP Morgan and Bank of America out of Deutsche, upgrade of FedEx. There's PVH, CrowdStrike, and a lot more. Don't go away.
1: Shares of the Quicken Loans parent rocket companies are down sharply. You can see over 10 percent this morning. This after reporting its first results as a public company. Rocket Company CEO Jay Farner joins us now. And Jay, I have to say in my experience, uh, seeing a newly public company print three and a half billion dollars in net income is rare to say the least. Nonetheless, at least at this point, investors don't seem particularly taken with it. Any any idea in, in your part as to why the stock is looking down 10%?
4: Well, thanks for having me this morning. And I'll tell you, our focus has really been uh, where the stock price has gone since the IPO here just, just uh, a few short weeks ago. So we're up pretty substantially. And uh, Q2 was a great quarter, and, and Q3 we think will be even better. So, um, you know, you can... Uh, Probably help me understand the day-to-day trading of the stock better than I can help you. But the long term is where we're uh, we'll continue to stay focused on. I know you are, and to your point, the stock did perform
1: extremely well uh, right after the uh, the IPO and sort of those days and weeks following. Uh, and it may simply be uh, the weaknesses based on how much strength there's been to date. Uh, again, because you point out your volumes were enormous, they're going to stay there. I mean, how long can we expect Jay? to have a mortgage market like the one we're in right now, which we report on every day in terms of housing being so hot?
4: Yeah, great question. Uh, You know, as we talked about the third quarter, our expectations that that we'll see continued growth. Uh, You know, we're hearing that we're uh, gonna see interest rates low for quite some time. And when we think about demand right now, the demand for refinancing and purchase, uh, third quarter will probably be one of the best quarters we've had Remains strong. So really our mission right now is to continue to grow capacity. Uh, We're up to over 100,000 clients closed in a month and our goal is to get to 40 billion a month closed by the end of the year. So uh, the future looks very bright and for us it's about that platform, about growing out that technology and continuing to take care of our clients uh, with world class service.
2: You're certainly optimistic, Jay, but in terms of your commentary suggesting that uh, volumes may follow a more seasonal pattern, that there may be some seasonality, which is typically weaker in fiscal fourth quarter. How much of that is just being conservative, considering the high volumes that we've had and, and maybe your expectation that there is some pull forward of, of housing plus the seasonality factor?
4: Well, actually, I think that uh, the purchase is, is going to be remaining stronger through the end of this year. Uh, we've seen that so far, and we're looking for inventory to increase a bit. And I think our comments were really more reflective of the natural cycles that we see year in and year out, especially between Christmas and uh, New Year. But as you know, with interest rates the way they are today and the 30-year fixed in the, in the threes, uh, people will be refinancing their, their, their homes regardless of uh, the time of the year. Uh, and that's going to mean for a great third quarter and, and, and a strong uh, finish to the year.
0: Speaking of which, Jay, I wonder, there's, um, there's a view on the street among some who are watching the banks that the bulk of loss reserves for the year is either close to being over or may already be over if you are uh, convinced that macro strength is returning. Um, you got any color on that?
4: Uh, No, I I don't have a lot of color on how the banks are performing from a loss perspective or their reserves. I I can tell you from our perspective, we watch forbearances very closely, of course, as one of the largest servicers in the country. And uh, we're actually seeing our forbearance rate continue to drop, which I think is great news. I saw you reporting uh, jobless claims as well. So uh, I think overall, a real positive feeling that... uh, uh, banks uh, companies are positioned well and uh, and there 's a lot of bright side or, or upside uh, that we 're going to experience as we get into the second half of this year.
2: How have your lending standards been, Jay compared to say six months ago or a year ago, and i 'm wondering if there 's any sort of Uh, opacity in in the amount of data that you have what struck me was that there was a comment about a month ago from the capital one financial CEO saying that uh, they don't have a really rigorous handle on on the level of unemployment amongst their borrowers that that it's just unclear that that many people are at certain certain levels of unemployment Um, you mentioned forbearances forbearances don't get reflected in credit score so I'm wondering how you adjust uh, for these things that may not have existed before
4: Yeah, great question. So uh, the lending standards are are the same uh, as they've been, in fact, in a few areas a bit tighter than they were uh, six months ago. Uh, And so we feel great about um, the credit quality that we're seeing, the income quality and the loan to value on mortgages as we've seen uh, property values continue to increase. And as I mentioned, from a forbearance perspective, I think this reflects the servicing approach that we take, uh, proactively reaching out to our clients, ensuring that uh, there's somebody there to pick up the telephone, take their, um, take their call or their email. And uh, in talking with our clients, our book uh, looks uh, in some very good shape. So I think with the, the credit that the criteria that's being used today, um, you know, the mortgage industry is in, in a nice spot right now. You also, Jay, uh... uh have
1: put out a longer term target twenty five percent market share by two thousand and thirty why share something like that with investors
4: i think it's important to talk about where we're headed long-term because in this business uh... the the day or the week or even the quarter can be hard to predict and so when we think about our strategic focus we think about what we're going to be working on for the next year the next three years the next five years the next ten years that sets our strategy uh... the tech that we're going to build the marketing that we're going to be doing uh, the client experience that we're going to be generating, how we grow our, our real estate business, our auto business, all of those things are kind of long-term strategic plans. And so giving that target a 25 uh, percent, I think, helps investors think about what they can expect from the company over the, the long haul, which is a better way, at least for us in the last 35 years that we've been in business, a better way to focus on it than looking at it day-to-day or week-to-week.
1: Yeah. And finally, Jay, back to the current environment. I noted that on the call, you said 98 percent of your team is working from home still.
4: Um, When do you expect people to get back to the office? Uh, Well, we've told our our team members that they can uh, expect to work from home uh, through the the remainder of this year. I think giving them certainty, uh, especially with folks having children entering school and those type of things is really important. We're hopeful that we'll be bringing back a significant portion of our team members as we start uh, twenty. Uh, 21, um, and I think the really exciting thing and the thing that helped us as you look at our Q2 numbers is that our ability to get that 98% from the office to the home in, in less than a few days allowed us to have a record march which then we followed up of course with in April and May and have continued to do so. So that platform that we've built allowing our team members to work anywhere remotely has really benefited us through this, this process. And The great news is even as hopefully we see the pandemic, uh, uh, you know, solve for in the coming uh, months, that work from home option now will give us flexibility that we didn't have before. Right. But not necessarily good news for even
1: Detroit, which, of course, you and your founder as well have been so focused on helping to build up. I mean, these urban areas, you know. When I hear a company like yours say, oh, we could keep having people work remotely for a long period of time because we're not lo- losing productivity, is that a bad, bad signal for Detroit or New York or any of these other places?
4: yeah i gotta say for detroit i don't believe so and here's why people want to come to the city the demand from our team members to say hey i want to be back in the office more importantly I'm be back in the city experiencing the city is strong and so the office will look different when folks return and we'll probably have more collaborative space but uh people are are itching to get back here to the city experience the city and so uh it'll be different i believe we can make it better uh, and so kind of have the best of both worlds giving people more flexibility from a work perspective, but also enjoying the city, and and that'll that'll be uh, helping propel the long-term growth of Detroit and and other places across the country. All right. Amen. Jay Farner, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me.
0: Take a break here. Uh, Get to all of the vaccine therapeutics and testing news that we've gotten this week, including some new headlines this morning from Pfizer, And we'll dig into jobless claims, as we said, a bit better than expected. What does that mean for the jobs number tomorrow? Futures are weak. We're back in a minute.
2: Take a look at Chairs of Carnival on the move pre-market after the company announced that its Italy-based Costa Cruises will resume operations this weekend, followed by one of its German-based brands. In early November, the trip will have limited itineraries and adjusted passenger capacity, along with advanced health protocols. That stock is up 4.6% ahead of the open. We should note that NCLH, RCL, the other cruise lines, they are up also sharply pre-market. Don't go anywhere. Squawk we'll the Be right back.
0: Futures are weak on this Thursday morning, but some of the names that are going to be up at the open have a thread of retail running through them. Costco's a good example as uh, August comps come in right around uh, 13%. We were looking for something just north of 10. That's a bit of an impressive move out of Costco. Uh, PVH, although sales obviously were hindered greatly by store closures, did manage to turn out a better than expected bottom line. That's going to open slightly in the green, about the 1%. And then, Melissa, FedEx says all these uh, kids are going back to school. We're watching for the consumer's ability to continue to spend into the fall. Uh, Barenberg says we're going to start to see a split between the UPSs and the FedExs of the world. They take FedEx to buy. And as we know, uh, the fall is going to come with a lot of shipping surcharges that mm-hmm. uh, the, the bulls are going to argue could bolster some of those shipping companies' bottom lines.
2: Yeah, and we've seen that run when they announced the pricing increases that are akin to holiday price increases, but earlier in the year. And so we've seen them sort of benefit from that announcement prior. Um, Going back to Costco, I thought this was an interesting quarter uh, because the growth there for Costco was really international. It was the UK, it was Korea. Uh, It was in in those uh, markets outside the United States. It was the ticket size. So each basket was bigger for Costco. But what was key was that the biggest category for Costco, which is food, that seemed to be moderating. That sort of suggests that perhaps comps are going to be tougher. Going forward.
0: And we already know what uh, food prices have done in the past few weeks. Uh, Eggs, lunch meat, uh, you name it. Uh, So we look at inflation, uh, ex-food and energy, but uh, anybody who goes to the grocery store lately knows exactly what the deal is. There's the opening bell and a uh, good look at uh, breadth this morning as uh, we uh, pay attention to some of these overall levels, 35 59. Melissa, I see that uh, Savita over at uh, B of A uh, raises her target, but a pretty r- wide range of outcomes between the, uh, the bull case and the bear case. Uh, over 10 years, though, as she looks at valuation trends, 5,200 S&P in 10 years <laughs> out of B of A today. Pretty interesting note.
2: In, in 10 years, Carl, we can come back and have Savita on and see if she was right and interview <laughs> we'll her, her about how she got to, the to that 52. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in 10 years. Well, we'll I love when analysts do some of these long-term projections, because even a year seems like an impossibility to actually forecast, especially in a year like this, David.
1: Yeah, I don't know how any of them do it. And a lot of them are unfortunately having to do backflips in terms of their price targets. I'm sure you saw the Peloton price target today that was raised by, I don't even remember who, but I mean, numbers that you could never even have imagined to your point, Melissa, as few as little as a few weeks ago, let alone a year ago, Um, as we watch Peloton shares actually down a bit this morning, we're starting to see a little bit of rotation, Melissa, out of these, out of these huge momentum names that we've seen, of course, led by Apple right now, at least on a market cap basis, which opened the morning, let's call it down a little over 2% after being lower yesterday and is now only up a mere 74.7% for the year. But its market value has fallen below 2.2 trillion. Of course, uh, two days ago, it was above 2.3 trillion. Um, not sure where it's cycling to. And, you know, Melissa, these moves have been so short-lived in terms of what appears to be at least some rotation in the market that then never really fully rotates in any, in any way.
2: Yeah, there's so many calls for, oh, the start of the value rotation, right? And then <laughs> just as quickly as you can get the words out of our mouths or investors can get the words out of their mouths, It's over, and we see investors come back in and and go to the old old playbook of growth stocks, of technology stocks, of bidding Apple uh, to over $2 trillion in market cap. Um, But it is worth noting here today that we are seeing strength in the financials. So this is follow-through from yesterday, and we do have – we do have – the Deutsche Bank upgrading JP Morgan as well as the Bank of America to a buy rating, um, we're seeing a little bit of a steepening of the yield curve. And this notion, guys, and, and JP Morgan put this out earlier earlier this week, we had Mark Kalonovic, uh, the strategist at JP Morgan, on Fast Money outlining why he thinks there could be a value rotation underway, especially as the election comes. And if Donald Trump wins, and this is not meant to be a political conversation, but simply just a strategy conversation, um, that there will be this very strong rotation into value and that investors could get caught a little flat-footed unless they start rotating uh, ahead of that. Um, so this is worth watching uh, to see if this actually holds. Yesterday, as we mentioned, utilities and financials were the leadership groups in the markets. We'll see if that that works again today.
0: Yeah, I saw the president mention uh, the Kolanovic uh, note uh, on the tarmac the other day. Although he said it was Morgan Stanley, which. Uh, obviously, I don't know if Marco minds, but uh, it definitely was J.P. Morgan uh, with that call about the trends tightening uh, for a Trump win and, pos- and investors potentially being not a position. But guys, the leaders this morning, uh, we mentioned PVH and Melissa okay. mentioned Carnival, but a lot of travel, uh, a lot of leisure, uh, Delta, the airlines are f- doing fairly well. I wonder, David, if this is sort of putting the cap on the week we've had. When we're getting news about a very quick Abbott test and the Roche test and a Dlaxo trial and Novavax last night, and and the FDA telling cities and states to start planning for distribution to healthcare workers in late October or early November, which of course was the big news last night.
1: Yeah, I mean that emergency usage though has gotten a lot of people's attention potentially, and at least some medical professionals certainly voicing their concerns from what I've been able to read about the idea that any vaccine, Carl, would be approved in that way, as opposed to going through the full phase three trials and receiving the rigor of the FDA uh, and then being out there in the market, uh, which could conceivably, according to Dr. Fauci, still be as soon as perhaps by the end of this year. Uh, So not that many months. But, you know, emergency usage uh, would potentially be pointing to an earlier use. And and again, Let's not forget, particularly the mRNA uh, candidates mm-hmm. when we're talking about Moderna, a few others. Mm-hmm. Melissa, these, these results that we've seen, quite positive, are on an extraordinarily low uh, population. And when you move into vaccinating tens of millions of people, the last thing, of course, that you want to do is get anyone sick who wasn't sick to begin with. And so, uh, you know, you do have to wonder where this comes out and whether or not they will be allowed to just fully move through phase three and therefore perhaps gain more confidence in the population at large that the uh, that whatever vaccine we get or hopefully a few of them are safe and effective
2: but the calendar the calendar really works Uh, in the favor of this notion that there will be some sort of emergency use vaccine soon. The FDA has a a very important virus vaccine meeting scheduled for October 22nd. Moderna this morning uh, announced its uh, virtual R&D day, which is going to take place on September 17th. There is a great expectation that there will will be interim results, at least from Moderna and the Pfizer and BioNTech candidates, uh, sometime in the next month and a half or so. And if you read that New York Times article, because the New York Times had that article about the CDC advising uh, local governments to get ready. Um, They are saying that if you take a look at the specifications that the CDC had mentioned, that it does sort of if you connect the dots, it draws a line to Moderna as well as Pfizer and BioNTech as being the vaccine A and vaccine B that uh, were mentioned in the memos given to states. So we are seeing Moderna shares, for instance, trade higher by more than 3%, 3 3.6% in today's session. Pfizer not getting too much of a bid, but we did see that big run in Pfizer prior uh, on the news of its vaccine. So maybe not entirely a surprise there.
0: Yeah, we'll watch that. Uh, Obviously, there's lots of things that you could potentially see reopen if a vaccine were approved and, as David says, widely accepted by the public. Uh, AMC um, is going to be opening, as we know, 70% of theaters uh, this weekend, a couple actually in New Jersey getting announced today. Uh, But, uh, David, I guess it's the secondary that's weighing on the shares, uh, down about 2%. But there's that to watch. And then there's also, you know, we've got Tenant already playing. And now we got a trailer this morning for No Time to Die, the latest James Bond, uh, and the Hollywood Reporter does a pretty nice piece about what they call the studio marketing machine uh roaring back to life in their words, which would be welcome news to a lot of those in the media business.
1: It certainly would. Uh, yeah, and to your point of course about AMC, we're talking about what 30 million shares of common stock that the company did issue at this point. Adam Aaron's still sounding quite positive about the future potentially for that company. Um, You know, uh, Carl, when it comes to uh, production, of course, let's not forget about TV. uh, Interesting journal story today in terms of advertisers looking for the ability to cancel uh, a larger percentage of what they've committed to. If, for example, the NFL doesn't succeed in pulling off a season or more college football falls by the wayside, Uh, not to mention what Melissa is going to be a very slim offering of new shows Mm -hmm. in the fall here for uh, all of the major um, uh, television networks and cable networks at this point, uh, given the inability to really produce over the course of the last six months. And they're just getting back to it now. So yeah, maybe we'll get a couple of movies, but we don't expect a, sort of any sort of outpouring here of uh, video content anytime soon.
2: And that's a problem not just for the networks, obviously, in terms of the ad dollars, but also for all the streaming services, which have so benefited from the pandemic. You're sitting at home and you've gone through Netflix's library and you're thinking, what's going to come next? We don't know what's going to come next, really. <laughs> there has been such uh, a production halt in Hollywood that, you know, the the, the slate of new shows that were expected may not actually come. And you have to wonder whether or not that's going to hit uh, the numbers for all these subscriptions.
0: Yeah, well, we could also we could all use uh, some, some fresh stuff, stuff to watch. Guys, uh, Tesla down 5 percent. And as Bespoke says today, it's only been down 4 percent on back to back to back days three times in its history. So we'll watch that. In the meantime, let's get to some of the other movers with our Bob Pisani today. Hey, Bob.
5: Hello, guys. Uh, happy Thursday, and finally a breather. This is a welcome respite, believe me. A lot of frothiness, uh, frothy stocks down today, moving into some other sectors. Let's just take a look at what's moving here. You got banks up today, so you got a lot of the regional banks moving modestly on the upside. Industrials are holding in there. Healthcare is flattish, uh, energy flattish as well, and of course semiconductors notably weak. A lot of concerns. Melissa was mentioning on uh, issues in China, and maybe they're helping to develop their own. Uh, internal semiconductor industry. That's a very legitimate concern and a very legitimate fear. I like the fact that we're seeing a lot of the frothy stocks. I mentioned yesterday stocks where RSI's were over 80 uh, names like Apple or NVIDIA uh, or Zoom Video or Salesforce or Tesla. Or a crowd strike here. Um, These stocks were ridiculously frothy, and today they're all down two, three, four, even five percent. That's a good sign. That naturally should happen when you get in this kind of overbought territory. You can't go up every single day for weeks on end. It just doesn't happen. And today you're seeing a bit of a a correction. Upside movers. The travel and leisure is doing better. Obviously, uh, the the vaccine and the treatment story is helping. PVH was good numbers. Leisure wear sales are up. No surprise there. And you see some of the, uh, the, the regional banks like Zions on the upside. A lot of talk about the increase in options activity out there and futures activity. There has been an increase in call buying, but this is very natural and understandable. Equity futures, look here at the CME, up 64% uh, year-to-date compared to last year. Equity options at the CBOE up almost 50%. Why? Well, there's some more retail buying out there. But re- remember, we've had a rally going on that's pretty notable for a while now. And there's a cause and effect here. The cause of the rally has been negative real rates the Fed liquidity and an improving economy, slowly improving economy. That has an interesting effect. The market's going up and there are people at the upper end who are engaging in more call option activity, a lot of call buying, particularly deep out of the money. Uh, call buying. So that, remember the cause and effect here. The cause is the market going up. The effect is some people out there engaging in more option activity. And some of that option activity may be contributing to some of that frothiness. But just don't confuse the cause and effect. Another thing I'm getting a lot of calls on the last couple days, IPO traders. Boy, they're expecting a mountain of stuff coming and they're very excited about it. And they should be. You wouldn't have believed this three months ago, but the IPO business is doing great. Year to date, 111 companies. 37 billion's been raised. Go back to 2014. This was the Alibaba year. They raised $85 billion back then. We have a shot at getting close to the best year since 2014. And that was Alibaba was a good part of all of that. Really kind of remarkable comeback for the IPO business. And the reason, of course, that's happening, you got the big three things going on here. First, you've got a market rally going on. From the bottom, the S&P is up 60% from the March 23rd bottom. But the IPO market has been on fire. From the bottom, the IPO market up 135%. The IPO ETF is up 60% this year. So it's outperforming the overall market. There's your two factors. And then you've got the whole work from home business. This has been a boon for the enterprise software companies. And guess who's coming public? Most of them are enterprise software companies to take advantage of this whole, uh, the fact that everybody needs to upgrade their systems. The retail companies, the banks, the doctor's offices, everybody needs to do that. And if you look at the recent IPO prices, some of these companies, Vroom and Rocket Companies and Lee Auto even, uh, electric vehicles, Jamf, which is an Apple platform manager, these have been great, all tied to the tech IPOs what's coming in the next couple of weeks look at this snowflake unity software good rx jfrog holdings here which is a software update platform sumo logic does data analysis folks it's all software enterprise software is eating the world and you're going to see a lot more about these companies in the next couple of weeks guys back to you
0: All right, Bob, we'll talk to you in a little while, our Bob Pisani. We'll take a break here. Uh, Is a rotation in place? We'll find out. The banks are up almost 1.5%. Yield's not necessarily ratifying that move. This is the biggest drop at the moment for the S&P and NASDAQ since August 11th. Back in a minute. Busy morning for EcoData, and there's more on the way. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Yes, this is the first of some PMIs. This is the market services
5: PMI. It's an August final Final means we have a mid-month read, which was 54.8. That gets tossed. It's now replaced with 55.0. 55.0 is the number. That's the best read on this indice since March of 2019. We'll call it, what, 17, 18 months? And if we look at the composite figure, the 54.7 there gets replaced with 54.6. Basically a lateral move, but nonetheless solid. And ISM Services, the PMI, coming out in about 15 minutes. And that, of course, a more seasoned read. That goes back to 97. Markets go back to, well, they celebrated their three-year birthday in August. Carl, back to you.
0: All right, Rick, thank you. We'll see you in a little bit. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, jobless claims earlier this morning did come in under consensus, 881,000 versus an expected 950,000. That's a new low since the start of the pandemic. The acting chair of the President's Council of Economic Advisors, Tyler Goodspeed, is with us this morning. Tyler, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, definitely trending in the right direction, uh, although there's a lot of concerns about uh, the methodology with claims, the degree to which census might color the jobs number tomorrow. What's the expectation at the White House?
3: Well, we were definitely very encouraged by the unemployment insurance claims numbers coming out today. In the continuing claims, we saw 764,000 fewer Americans in insured unemployment for the week ending August 22nd. Uh, that was a that was a tremendous number, um, and and we, we it certainly bodes well for the. August employment situation report coming out uh, tomorrow is
0: there you know we we track a lot of high frequency data uh, credit card spending uh, uh, various color that we get from the likes of Visa and in general the the view has been that August has not been as weak as some had feared given the expiration of those enhanced unemployment benefits Does, does the White House have an explanation as to why that might be true
3: well, for one thing, as, as, as we just saw in the unemployment insurance claims numbers, the labor market has been stronger than expected. This was the fifth consecutive week of six digit declines in continuing claims. And uh, right now, the expectations on the street are for private payroll employment growth of 1.3 million in the month of August. That's certainly going to support uh, consumer spending. And as you said, we saw in, in, in retail sales data from the credit cards uh, that, that actually retail sales are now above their February 2020 levels, and then also an additional level of support for consumer spending was the continuation of enhanced unemployment assistance by the federal government thanks to executive action by President Trump.
0: So the the takeaway for some, uh, because of those uh, better-than-expected numbers, is that perhaps there's less urgency to put a compromise together for further aid on the Hill. Uh, What's the view on
3: that? Well, the president absolutely wants bipartisan legislation that he can then sign into law. It was in the absence of that movement on the Hill that he proceeded with executive action. And I I would just like to note that of all the people in this town who could have acted to to provide a continuation of enhanced unemployment insurance benefits, who could have acted to provide protection and relief for student borrowers and American renters, who could have acted to, to boost take-home pay for Americans who continue to go into work in the face of present challenges and risks, Of all the people who could have taken action on each of those fronts, only one person in this town actually did that.
0: Tyler, finally, on trade, um, the trade deficit, as you know, in July, uh, it's almost $64 billion. It's the highest level in 12 years. Uh, imports were up by a record. Um, the view among some is going to be that the Trade war that the president once said was easy to win is just not paying off. Why? Why is that?
3: So when we look at, I, I, I see a. a I, we have a different interpretation of the trade numbers coming out today. First of all, first and foremost, it shows a recovery in global trade. Exports grew, imports grew by more. The US is still a predominantly services-oriented economy, so we're going to, and services have, have not been rebounding quite as quickly as goods, so we're, we're going to expect uh, 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 the goods deficit to widen as, as things recover. But look, when we look at the national and income product accounts uh, data, then what we actually see is that net exports as a share of GDP in the United States have improved uh, in 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. Uh, relative to the preceding eight and 16 years. So as a share of GDP, net exports have actually improved to negative 2.8% during the three and a half years of the Trump administration. This compares to an average of negative 3.1% during the preceding eight years and an average of almost 4% during the preceding 16 years. Uh, but I, as I said, I think the, our number one read in the, these trade numbers today is that this is a sign of a rebounding US and indeed global economy. hmm
0: We'll watch that, uh, obviously. Uh, Tyler, a lot of numbers to get to, and, of course, the big one tomorrow. Uh, We appreciate it very much. Good to see you.
3: Thanks very much.
2: Melissa? All right, let's take another look at the NASDAQ here of the major three. This one is really uh, taking the hit, taking a leg lower, uh, down by one and three-quarters of a percent. It's lowest level since July 23rd. We've got a 3% decline in Apple, 2-plus percent declines in Facebook, Microsoft, in the semiconductors. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: Got to watch Tesla today Uh, found some very quick support again right around 4.05 after the open. Uh, But both for Tesla and Apple, that is three days of declines at the moment. One reason the Nasdaq is having its worst day since July 23rd, even as the Dow closes the gap from its February high to about 1.2 percent. Back in a moment. Got to mention Robinhood before we close out the hour facing an SEC probe over not disclosing deals with high speed traders. That's according to the journal this morning. Could cost the upstart brokerage firm a fine exceeding $10 million Uh, between this, Melissa, and a lot of outages over the summer. It has been a tough couple of months uh, for Robinhood.
2: Um, What they're uh, accused of of doing is is legal payment for order flow, Um, but it's the the notion of not disclosing it clearly uh, prior to 2018 when in actuality it made up a big chunk of its revenues. Uh, If they settle, though, they don't have to admit or deny anything, so um, that could just be a clean way to to get past this. Um, In the meantime, we're still continuing to watch the Nasdaq very, very closely. We mentioned this at the top, this rotation that we saw starting in yesterday's session, away from technology into some of the more value cyclical areas of the market. We see that continue today. We've got regional banks up strongly. We've got energy up strongly. Energy, by the way, uh, stocks up despite Crude oil being lower today on, on fears of demand softness. We do have the likes of an Exxon Mobil, for instance, up by about two percent. And of course, the reopening trade, David and Carl, the reopening trade is on fire. Um, perhaps on this notion that the CDC is urging states and local governments to, to get ready uh, to deploy a potential vaccine to frontline workers, to nursing homes, etc., by the end of, of October, early November timeframe. And, and that is that really lit a fire in yesterday's session late uh, in the day, and, and we're seeing that carry over into today's session
1: yeah something we would have talked about before the pandemic namely a market driven by quantitatively driven funds and the algorithms that power them melissa and carl uh, seems to perhaps be in play more today than does the new phenomena that we've talked about so often which is the power of the retail investor on platforms such as Robinhood. so we'll see how long this lasts but uh, perhaps the machines have a little bit more control today carl
0: yeah. And one last thing, David, before we get to uh, ISM. Is this uh, the Joule announcement? You know, we've seen uh, talking about Exxon, uh, 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 Saudi Aramco and Juul uh, companies trying to retrench, uh, maybe pull out of certain countries. As the question is asked again today, whether or not Altria's investment in Joule was one of the worst since uh, AOL Time Warner or before.
1: Well, you know, luckily for them, it wasn't anywhere near the size, though, don't get me wrong. If my memory serves, it was over 12 bill. It was a big number. Uh, but uh, it is not a good deal for them in any way, shape or form. I think we can safely say that, of course, the safety concerns that Jewel faced uh, fairly early on after that investment. they never actually even got the approval, remember, from the DOJ to actually take voting control. The whole thing was uh, a nightmare scenario for that company.
0: Yeah, yeah. although Altria shares are not reflecting the news at the moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.